0: As we've been talking about what God's plan is for the world, uh, it seems odd to stop for a moment and talk uh, as we are about First Peter chapter 3. Uh, but we need to understand this, that God's plan for the family, because the, fa- the family is the foundation of all society, and that transcends geographical boundaries. God has a plan for our world, and we can see uh, in the family, family, in our world today, the family is just messed up. And we see that our, the television is one of the greatest conveyors of meaning within our world today. And we can see that TV has, is sometimes uh, a cultural conveyor of meaning in that they're teaching us and trying to get us to believe or see something from their point of view. But sometimes it's also a reflector of what's going on in a larger culture. And when, in America, we can see that with the family itself. We can see the family, uh, and, and some of you might be around, been around a little while to, to know this, but TV shows in the 50s you had Leave It to Beaver, right? Leave It to Beaver, All in the Family, Father Knows Best, TV shows that showed Americana and all of its glory. And then we see this, this shift that's going on in the 60s and the 70s where you have the Brady Bunch, the rise of the Brady Bunch, where it talks about the blended family. It was the first TV show to ever really do that. And you have other TV shows that even portray different racial elements that are going on, the Jeffersons, Sanford and Son, uh, that, that put African Americans in uh, uh, lead roles to show the, the diverse, diversity of our culture. And then you see even the rise of uh, the working, 30s working woman with the Mary Tyler Moore show. Remember that show? Those have been around for a while. And then you had uh, that this subtle shift where people are taking on different racial elements, even portraying racial stereotypes like All in the Family and Archie Bunker. And then you see it move into the 80s as you're dealing with TV shows like uh, All in the Family or um, One Day at a Time, talking about a divorced woman and how she's trying to parent and dealing with issues such as drug abuse and anorexia and different social things that are going on within the world and and then you see even just slight uh conveyors of meaning such as the tv show soap who put out the first openly homosexual character on television to show and even started to to start the question of what is a family and 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 that's now gone on into our culture and that's continued on into our day and age and we see it even in the 90s where it goes away from the family to the singles with the TV show Friends and Seinfeld, and we see the promiscuity and immorality, it starts to be go greater on the rise. And then it continues even into our time where we're looking at TV shows like The Modern Family, which is questioning what is the notion of family and trying to redefine what it is. Or even a TV show called The New Normal. Now, we look at TV shows and we see how, again, they convey meaning or show it to us, but they also reflect what's going on in the larger world. And we see, though, that the world, if we, re- if we look at the Scripture, the world is at enmity, at war with God. And there is an all-out assault on the family today in a greater way that's been done, and I don't want to say within history, but it's much more overt in our day and age. Now, it's overt in other places in the world, but we have to understand that we are strangers in this world. That's what we've been looking at in this series, is seeing how God has made us to be strangers, that if we follow God's definition and God's, uh, how God has arranged the family, we will truly find ourselves to be outsiders. We're going to look and sound different than the world around us. And God has called us to himself, and God has shown us by his word and through his word how we are to live and be and direct our lives. And it's not just God's suggestion. This is God's ideal. This is God's uh, display for us on how he desires the world to be. And for those that are servants of him, we are going to endeavor to follow his word and apply his word to our heart that we might do what he desires us to do and be. And one of the most controversial things today within our American society is the understanding and the role of husbands and wives. What are the roles of husbands and wives? If you'd go back, I mean, some time ago it's pretty well defined, but in our world today, it's all mixed up, and people are completely discombobulated. What is it? Is, what is the, the, the way that God desires the husband and wife relationship to be? And if you want to start off a, a hot conversation or a controversial conversation with some family and friends, talk about the passage that we're going to talk about today, and I guarantee that you're going to have a Fourth of July fireworks in discussion, but we want to see and show that this is God's ideal. And this is God's best way for each one of us. And we're going to see today and examine the role of women, specifically wives. Now, within our culture, I mean, there was a song that came out a few years ago called All the Single Ladies. Uh, All the Single Ladies. All the Single Ladies. It was talking about all the single ladies. Well, I think that married women don't get a lot of press. So we're going to call it All the Married Ladies. This is God's ideal for all the married ladies and what His Word has for us to do and be. And we will discover that when we adopt that, we're going to find the fullest pathway of blessing and joy. So let's ask for God's blessing in our time together as we jump within our text for today, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1-6, through 6, as we navigate through this to, for God to show us what His desire is for uh, the husband and wife relationship. Let's pray. Father, we come before you today asking you to remove the fog of this culture. Our minds are so convoluted and polluted. Lord, help us to see through your word. May your spirit blow that away and give us clarity where there's been muddy waters. May we navigate accurately as we discern your word and what it is for us. And Lord, may we take that step of faith where... The greatest blessing is as we seek to do your word. Lord, if there's been sin in our lives, if we have messed up and if we have adopted a wrong viewpoint, Lord, wash our minds with the water of your word that we might do that which is beautiful and honoring and holy in your sight, that your name might be praised. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's jump straight into our text, and we see that Peter is giving instruction for married women, and he he actually starts off likewise, where he had talked a little bit before about how we are to interact with earthly authorities. He understood that the Christians that were in the world were having a very difficult time interacting with greater society. The society hadn't received what... what God had for them. So there was this enmity between the fallen world and this world system and what God had wanted. And and we see that Peter is telling the the Christians there that they are strangers in this world, that they're on the wrong they're on the wrong side of the door, that they're not home yet. And while they're in this world they're to behave in a certain way. Now a few weeks back we saw how we are to interact with governing authorities. God's Word covers the entirety of our human experience, especially the relationships that we have in everyday life. And it's true even for the husband and wife relationship. Now, in a couple weeks, we're going to see about husbands, but today, we're going to look at wives. Now, before we, need to under, before we can truly understand what uh, this text means, we have to understand how this is God's ordained arrangement. So I want us to take a moment and pause and we're going to examine or be examining God's ordained arrangement, which what is marriage and how God designs it to be. It involves understanding four different things that I want to bring to our attention. The first of all is this, that men and women are created and designed in God's image. Both men and women are made in the image of God. And we are different from one another. Can I get an amen? I mean, it's true. Men and women are different. Men are from Mars. Women are from Venus. It doesn't take a genius to know this, that men and women are different. Ladies, I never will understand you. I live with three of you, and I don't get it. From the time my daughter was in diapers, I gave up. I just don't understand why girls think the way that they do. It makes no sense in a lot of ways to me. (laughs) But... God has ordained this men and women are distinctly different, and it's blessedly so. As we've talked about this in the past, men are made from dirt, and you can tell that. Women are fashioned. (laughs) That's why guys don't talk about fall fashion. They They don't even know what fashion is. Half the time, they don't know what color of the room is they walk into. It's true. man. we don't understand. There's a lot of stuff that we just don't do intrinsically as men, And men and women are different, but equal in the sight of God. God created male and female. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them, as Genesis 127 says. So we see that men and women are created and designed in God's image. But men and women are to be complementing each other by assuming different roles. Men and women are to be complementing each other by assuming entirely different roles. And we see that through several different texts within the Word of God that men and women not only are different and distinct, but have different roles in the home. Now, this is controversial in our world today. I can't believe it's controversial and how controversial it is. But it's true. With the rise of feminism within our world, we see that going on that it's controversial to say that men and women are different and have different roles. But the Bible is clear that that men and women do have different roles. And we can see that this husband and wife relationship completes the picture of the distinct roles of the Trinity. If we're to understand this topic, which we're talking about submission, we're seeing that men and women complete this picture of God. That the relationship between a husband and wife is a picture of God's relationship within himself. That God exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Same in substance, but different, as theologians say, in subsistence. And that the three are one and equal, but they have different roles uh, within the Godhead. Now I want to draw your attention to this, that we see that they are having these different roles, that we see the Son submitting himself and humbling himself um, in, when he came in his incarnation, and then he does that also with the Father. I want us to look at Philippians chapter two, verse five through eight. I'm gonna throw that up on the screen for you. Philippians chapter two, verse five through eight. And the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul says this Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now, what it means is this Christ humbled himself in the incarnation, and he is subjected. To the Father. Now the three are equal, but there is subordination or sub- submission within the members of the Trinity. Now we see this also in First Corinthians chapter fifteen. I want to show you this as well. Then comes the end. This is this is uh, Paul talking about the end of time and what's going to happen at the end of time when he delivers the kingdom of God the Father and destroying every rule and authority and power. This is what Jesus will do. For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed. Is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. Now, here's where it gets real key. But when it says, all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. So we're seeing that this is a picture that the Son submits to the Father. And the Spirit is submitting to the Son and the Father. We, we also see this uh, been drawn out. I want to show you this quote from this uh, Kathy Keller. Uh, this is the wife of Tim Keller, who is at Redeemer Presbyterian Church. She said this, Both women and men get to play the Jesus' role in marriage. Jesus in his sacrificial authority, because Jesus is authority, but yet he is submitting to the Father, and Jesus in his sacrificial submission. And then I want to draw this other quote out for you here by Loomis Sims, who's a Christian blogger who carries very much about women's issues. She says, As a wife, I see my role in relationship to Christ in the words of the Apostle Paul. I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. As a woman, I already have a Jesus role, the sacrificial gifting of my submission to my husband. Should I try to grasp for his, Jesus' role? Should I try to swap my role for his? To what end? She continues, If Jesus, being equal with God, did not grasp for his equality, but instead submitted himself to the plan and will of the Father, should I, as my husband's equal, grasp for mine? How can that possibly transform me into the image of Christ? To understand any of our roles, we first have to understand the Godhead. Only then will any of this stuff make sense. Only then will it be shown that these roles are not cultural or social constructs, but part of the warp and weft of objective reality. What she's saying there is that we can't truly understand the husband and wife role it's not a, uh, until we really understand who God himself is that the wife is taking the role of Jesus submission while uh, the, the husband is taking the role of Jesus' authority within that but both are subjecting themselves to Christ. Now I understand that this is a little bit out there but we have to understand that th- this what we're calling for are not social constructs of a patriarchal society. We're talking about the transcendent meaning of the husband and wife relationship that God has ordained and embedded since the foundation of the world as he has taken his image and shown it within his creation that is to be portrayed in the husband and wife relationship. So we see then that these aren't social constructs that, God, uh, that we have and the word of God is advocating and telling us. We have God's will and God's ordained meaning for our culture. But we have a great deal of confusion about this because there, there have been distortions introduced by the fall. It's the fall of man, and we have a great deal of confusion about this. We are confused by the distortions that the fall has brought with us. Everything is passed through the fall of man, and that's why a lot of people are so confused. Everything is distorted through the fall. When Adam and Eve took the fruit and ate, everything got messed up. Totally. We've talked about it in the great car wreck where there's uh, there's a driver of this 18 wheeler and on the back of it is all the cars of humanity. And that car drove off the cliff and all those cars spun out and received a different dent or even misunderstanding and an abject to rebellion within uh, that's what humanity was born with. And we see that we are born in original sin. We're all dented, as it were, and rebels in the sight of God. And we have a great deal of distortion um, regarding the husband and wife relationship. So we are forced then to look at what the culture says the husband and wife is to be, or to see sometimes how it was wrongly portrayed to us in the home. I know that many of us grow up in homes where it was messed up. I mean, we thought ourselves that we put the fun in dysfunctional. I think many of us were like that. We had really uh, sometimes abusive households. Uh, some of uh, times there was just no relationship whatsoever between the parent or the father and the the wife, or it was it was wrongly portrayed. I know some people have lived in homes where they they misunderstood these texts and uh, followed the letter of the law in a very wrong manner. So we have to understand what does the word of God intend for us, and how do we understand this? And we have to correct ourselves by going through the Word of God and seeing what the Bible has for each one of us, because we have a great deal of confusion th- through the, the distortions that have been introduced by the fall. I like how the Danvers statement captures this. You may not have ever heard of this statement before, but it was a statement that was written by uh, several evangelical scholars that met in Danvers, Massachusetts in the late 1980s because of these different distortions that were going on within the husband and wife relationship that is seen permeating our culture. And they, they wrote this, and I'd like to draw attention to this because I believe this is of monumental importance for us. Why? Because it permeates everything else about society. If we are confused on the role of the husband and wife and what the home should look like, the foundation uh, of entire society, then society will crumble. It it is the foundation of everything else. I mean, it was God who created the first family in the Garden of Eden. And we have to understand that if the family is wrong, then our society is headed in a very rebellious and wrong place. And the Danvers statement said this, and I love how they've captured it. It says, in the home, the husband's loving, humble headship tends to be replaced by domination or passivity. The wife's intelligent, willing submission tends to be replaced by usurpation or servility. i want to stop there for a moment. It's true. We know men that have been dictators, right? That have ruled their home with an iron fist. and have done it in a wrong way, whereas their children was, and wife was in fear. Uh, we've seen that go on. That is not what the Bible is talking about. The Bi- well, the Bible is saying that here, men, because of the, the distortions introduced by the fall, can be dominators or doormats. Can sit on the, t- sit in the couch and just watch TV all day and care nothing about the family or be such a micromanager that the family fears him. And that's the pendulum. And that's not, neither one of those are God's ideal. It's to be a loving, caring father that is there for the security and provides security and, uh, for his children and his wife. In this, and, and look for the, the wife's intelligent, willing submission tends to be re- replaced by usurpation or servility. And it goes that way, too, where the woman rules the roost. Or she completely is just a doormat herself. And we're saying that neither one of those is right. God has something totally different. And in the church, sin inclines men toward a worldly love of power or an abdication of spiritual responsibility and inclines women to resist limitations on their roles or to neglect the use of their gifts in appropriate ministries. So God has a role for the husband and wife relationship in the home, and these are portrayed in the church. Now, I've heard people say, are you saying then that one's genitals just totally limits what they can do? And they make the question sound like anyone who would follow that answer is an idiot. But the question itself is wrong because there are many things that are unique to our gender. I, for the life of me, can't carry a baby, and I'm very thankful for that. Why? My physiology limits me, and it also helps define the essence of who I am. In our world today, there's a great deal of confusion on this. I had to deal with this when I was pastor of Midwest Bible Church. We had a woman uh, who was in one of my Sunday school classes who was very, having a very huge dilemma in her life. She had been a teacher in uh, the northern suburbs when her boss was a man, came back the fall as a woman. And it disturbed her and the children. And we've seen this that we have this gender reassignment surgery, that people are in the wrong gender. And I, and I hate to tell you this, but even if a person were to get surgery and it changes their genitals and they could take hormones all they want and use personal pronouns of he or she, depending on how they want to refer to themselves, it doesn't change the DNA or the essence of who they are. Still do a DNA test and it still will show man. God has created men and women. Even those people that have that confusion, that's another result of the fall. These distortions have come in, and it's only the Word of God that can bring the fresh breeze that that clears away the fog. And we have to go back to God's revelation and Word to us. For without His Word, we have nothing. We don't know who Jesus is. We don't know what He's called us to do and be. It is the Word of God that will transcend time. Jesus said that heaven and earth will what? Pass away. But what will never pass away? The Word of God it doesn't change. No matter what cultural storm is on the horizon, God's word stands fast. It has endured through time. It crosses geographical boundaries, language boundaries. People have tried to eliminate it. They've tried to, to govern against it. They've tried to ban it, but you can never stop it. Because God's word is the consistent, the true north, the compass of our souls. And it's only the word of God That shows us how we are to live and be. So we need to understand what God's role and what God has for us. And we see in the word of God that being a godly wife involves submitting to her own husband's authority. Submitting to her own husband's authority. Look at verse 1 with me. Likewise, remember he's liking it. He's relating it back to talking about submission to governing authorities. Wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives. For those who are married, we can see that a wife is to be submissive to her own husband, not every man. To her own husband, it's not swim, women submitting to every man. And this isn't an isolated passage. For some would say, "Well, it only says it here." Look at Colossians chapter three, verse eighteen. Excuse me, through nineteen. Draw your attention to the screen. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord's. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. See, the word submission or subject there is the Greek word hupotasso. And I want to pause for the moment and look at this word. It's the Greek word uh, which used as a military term to describe soldiers submitting to their superior or slaves submitting to their masters. Now, the word primarily is the idea of giving up one's own right or will. It meant to arrange, for example, troop divisions in a military fashion under the command of a leader. That's what is going on there. Submission, then, is not so much to a person per se as to the position of rank that is established to ensure order rather than chaos. The private in the army may be a better person than the five-star general, but he still is a private See, Roman households, uh, in fact, there had slaves that were better people than their owners. But it was to be a voluntary submission. Now, I like how Tony Evans describes this. Uh, Tony Evans was talking about speaking at a promise keepers um, rally in a a certain city. And he said he saw a woman who was the president of the National Organization of Women come on and speak against um, promise keepers, specifically the use of the word submission saying that it made women to be second-class citizens. And he said, and I watched her, as she got on the phone call and told her vice president what to do, and she expected the vice president to submit to her authority. So the question is, is not that she disagrees with the word submit, it's in the arena that it happened in that she disagreed with. And he goes on to say, he says, uh, many women have a problem with submission because they think, because, but I'm smarter than my husband. I make more money than my husband. I am more educated than my husband, and I have more common sense than my husband. I can't submit to him. And he says this, and I love this. He says, well, let's suppose an 18-wheeler is trying to merge onto the freeway. Let's also assume that the Volkswagen is coming down the expressway so it has the right-of-way. The 18-wheeler has to yield. No, the 18-wheeler may have more clout than the Volkswagen. but well, the Volkswagen has the right-of-way. Can the 18-wheeler say, because I have more than you have, you stop on the highway and let me on? If there is an accident, it is the 18-wheeler that is going to be at fault because even though it's got more stuff, it's operating illegitimately. Submission has nothing to do with how much you bring to the table. Submission has has nothing to do with how much education, how much clout, how much notoriety a woman has. It has to do with God's ordained role. It's a pretty good picture. See, and he says, why? Because there's a benefit here. He says, be subject to your own husband's. So that even if some do not obey the word, that they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see respectful and pure conduct. He says, even if some do not obey, they're not, uh, in, in other words, they're not believers in Christ. They are disobedient to believing the gospel. And what does it mean? It means submitting, the woman is to submit to the godly, which is the believer. But he's also saying to submit to the godless. The godless. So a woman is to be submitting to her own husband. And it's a willing giving of oneself. It's not to be be demanded from the husband. It is a voluntary act of submission, just as the son submitted to the father. It's a willingly giving up of oneself and recognizing the position that God has placed them in. Now, in that culture, that was very controversial because someone would say, Well, my husband's not a Christian. How can I submit to him? I'm transcended that now. I'm in Christ because there's neither slave nor free nor male nor female, Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. And he says, no, you're to still do that because in your doing so, you might win him to the Lord. So we're to, the woman is to submit, or the wife is to submit to the godly and the godless. Now, let me pause for a moment here and say this. I want us to make sure that the Bible is unequivocal in this, that understanding that submission is never an excuse for abuse, ever ever that means emotional physical sexual it it, that it's not even in the ball game now i've heard men say well she's not submitting and, and it was their excuse for beating their wife i'm like let me ask you a question how did jesus love his church because the husband and wife relationship is a reflection of jesus's love for the church what did jesus do for his church he gave his life for his church See, the husband's responsibility is to be the primary protector and provider for his family. That's his responsibility. And you're not to beat, berate, or do any of that. That is not found within the Word of God. That's why we saw in Colossians chapter 3, verse 18 and 19, it says, uh, talking to the wives, submit to her, uh, to her husband. But it also said, men, don't be harsh. With your wives. Matter of fact, first Peter chapter 3, verse 7, which we're going to read about in two weeks. I want to call that up. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor. Jesus doesn't beat his church. That's not honoring to the wife. Not honoring to who she is. It has no place within the people of God. Ever. Ever. Never. Showing honor to the woman is the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. It's never an excuse for abuse. Let's look back at our text. See in verse 1 again, Be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Now we can see that this sum, her submission involves assuming the proper attitude. Attitude is everything. See, that's what it means there by the pure conduct, respectful attitude that she has. That's how the man will be won, not by nagging, not by constantly coming at him verbally. Women, ladies, you are verbal Zoros. I've said that before. I, women, you have tongues and words. I can't keep up with even some of the girl TV shows that you watch. My wife used to watch that TV show Gilmore Girls. I was exhausted in the first five minutes because it was just women. I'm lost. Just give me something that blows up. Please. I mean, come on. I mean, that's why it's so funny. Having, being the parent of two girls and then a son, my daughters, if they have a problem, they, they tell us, I, I really don't like what you did there, Daddy. Um, my, and, and they do that to their little brother. And it's really funny watching my daughters talk to their, their little brother who's three and a half. And they go, Elijah, don't do that. Guess how he responds? Bam! (laughs) (laughs) Push! Yeah! And he just wants to fight and push and not verbal. And that's why he's saying there, it's not about you're verbally persuading him. Ladies, you're great with words. But being a man, at times we can feel we're at a loss for words and we feel that we we can't respond as quickly and our thoughts aren't like that. And that's why it it doesn't help because when a woman comes coming back like that, the man has a tendency to just be like, you know, I give up. I'm, I tuned out. I'm done. It's when you stop and, and have to gather yourself and and, and, and talk then. And, and when my wife and I get into a fight, and we fight, and, and she wins, um, normally because I'm the one that's usually wrong. I just know it. But it takes me 15 minutes, then I realize it. Um, and she doesn't, she doesn't berate me. We have rules. We actually have rules because you're going to fight as a husband and wife. I guarantee it. Um, but you've got to learn how to fight fair. Don't bring up the past. Some of you have quivers full of past ills and hurts that you bring out every time you get into a fight. Don't bring out the past. Don't call each other names, no matter how angry you are. Don't ever go to bed angry. I said that to an old man once. He goes, we have successfully done that. And he goes, three weeks. And I said, three weeks? He goes, yeah, we were up for three weeks straight before we went to sleep. <laughs> You'll catch that in a minute for those of you still trying to process that Um, but it's true we shouldn't go to bed angry and we've we have to talk it out and and realize that and 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 share and and my wife has has done really well at realizing when I'm at my capacity and backing away and not barraging me verbally but giving me time to process and then seeing how she conducts herself so it's through through her behavior that helps when uh, it helps her uh, and helps me see who God is in her and I then want to humble myself now having the proper attitude involves two different things first of all it involves assuming the right role assuming the right role and I, as I mentioned before, there's a great deal of confusion about the roles of husband and wife. And Wayne Grudem, who's probably one of the world's leading es- experts on what the Bible says about gender roles, he said this, and I, I love this, he just captures it very succinctly. The man's responsibility is to provide for and protect, while the husband, why, woman's responsibility to care for the home and to nurture children. Now, that doesn't mean that a woman can't work outside the home. We see that within Scripture in Proverbs 31, which is the hallmark benchmark. For women, we see her working outside of the home, uh, but it's the primary responsibility is with the children. Now, that doesn't mean that a husband doesn't have any, uh, any say what's going on in the household. That's not it at all. It's to show that each one has been uniquely gifted to deal with situations in a different way. Like, for instance, in your home, when you hear something in the middle of the night, is it the wife that's to get up and go check and see what's downstairs? No. My wife reminds me of that. It's my job. Okay? Okay. I'm going to go down there and do that. It's not her job. But yet, yet, sometimes, and I'm amazed at this, when the children cry, and I, I always manage to mess it up. My wife's like, don't you know what's going on? No, he's crying. She's like, that's a hunger cry. There's a difference? There's like a delineation in the woman in mind. Like, oh, he's crying. He's hurt. He's lonely. He's feeling. I'm like, I don't know. He's just crying. <laughs> And, and, and it's understanding that women are, are better nurturers than men are. Now, and that's not to say that men can't be nurturers. I know that some men have had to take that role, just as some women have had to take that role because of circumstances. Through divorce, I grew up in a single-parent home because my father had died. So my mother had to take on many of the different roles that a father would, would, would try to do. And she tried her best, but much as she tried, she still couldn't be a man. She couldn't be a father to me. I tried to get my mom to play catch. That didn't work. My mom wasn't good at that. I wanted her to do guy things and learn. So I I looked at coaches and mentors and grandparents and uncles and things like that because there is something intrinsic within me to look at a man, to put that, have that example of what a husband and wife responsibility entails. What are the roles? And the Bible has shown that. So no matter what goes on within the world today, we still see that that's even where people naturally gravitate toward but I'm seeing more and more confusion with this younger generation on what it means to be a a husband or a wife. They don't understand. And I've seen marriages shipwrecked because of it. The people have abandoned the roles that God had set for them. So we have to understand that it means here assuming the right role. Now back to our passage. The wife is to have the proper attitude by taking on the proper role, but she's also to have the proper respect. Dr. Emerson Eng, uh, Egerichs wrote a book called Love and Respect, The Love She Most Desires and the Respect He Most Desperately Needs, and he built it on this text, which has kind of been overlooked, but it's from Ephesians chapter 5, verse 33, and this is a text that men and women both need to know. I really would encourage this. It says this, However, le- each one of you love his wife as himself, and the wife see that she respects her husband. Notice the key words there, the wife is or the husband is to do what to his wife, love her. Now, notice it doesn't say respect. Notice it doesn't say that. Why? Because he already respects her. It's intrinsic to who he is as a man. Now, to the woman, we see that he says, "Let the wife love her husband." No, because she intrinsically loves him, but she has to work at respecting him. See that? Men crave respect. We do. We crave respect. I saw this firsthand when I was pastoring in the inner city of Chicago. I'd have gangbangers come in. And I had a rule first time, and I would tell them, it's a two-way highway. I respect you. Respect me. We got that. We're all good. You know what? I never had any problems. It just cleared the air because they were trying to get my respect. And I said, I'm going to respect you as as a growing man. And you respect me, and we're fine. You want to tick a man off real quick? Disrespect him. You see that drawn out really quick within Scripture? You see that in the wicked Haman. Haman in the book of Esther, he's di- he gets disrespected by Mordecai. Because, I mean, Haman was a godless man, but he gets so infuriated that Mordecai won't bow to him and show him respect. He gets infuriated. Now, he didn't deserve respect. He was godless completely. And he was trying to kill the Jewish people because of it. But we see that men crave respect. Ladies, you want to tick off your husband really fast or emasculate him? Disrespect him. Respect him, and you'll see him start to grow. Honor him in the position that God has placed him in, and you will see that begin to shift. Respect. Respect. Now, if a wife respects her husband, assumes the role that God intended for her, then something wonderful may occur. Let's look at the second part of verse 1 again. So that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. See, her submissive attitude may well result in the unbelieving spouse's redemption. Redemption. I know that there are many here today have an unbelieving spouse. But your husband is watching you. Big time. Perhaps the greatest example of this is found within church history in the, 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 wife, the mother of Augustine, the great theologian. Uh, whose mother, his name was Monica, who would not cease praying for her son. And she had a godless husband named Patricius, who was known for his infidelity and encouraging his son and sexual promiscuity. Uh, Augustine was the guy that I think many of us would identify with today in our world. Uh, He is portrayed in his confessions with all of his warts and all of the sins that he struggled with, very honestly and openly. But he talks about his mother, Monica, and he mentions that it was because of her taking this passage so seriously that at the end of her life, he could say uh, that not only did he come to the Lord, but his father was won over to the Lord by the conduct of his mother. So women who are in uh, unequally yoked relationships, adopt a submissive attitude, respect him and assume the role that God has for you, and you may well win him to the Lord. Now let's get back to our text. Peter still has much to say about women of Christ. He says and tells them to be respectful and pure in their conduct, which means holy, distinct, set apart, not open uh, to charges of sin. And then he says their conduct was respectful and pure, but he addresses one thing that is particularly distinct to women, the subject of beauty. Women desire to be beautiful, Men, not so much. Now, it's, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to see that women prize beauty. It's a multi-billion industry. People go mad for it. We're a culture obsessed with it. Facelifts, liposuction, lip injections, nose jobs, breast enhancements, you name it. There's even uh, one woman who is so obsessed that she had plastic surgery to look just like Barbie it's a shame and totally unrealistic if you think about it. Dr. Margot Main in her book, Body Wars, gives us the true stats of Barbie if she were an actual woman. I'm going to show this to you. She would be 5'9 and have a 39-inch bust, 18-inch waist, 33-inch hips, and a size 3 shoe. Barbie calls this a full figure and likes her weight to be 110 pounds. At 5'9 and weighing 110, she would likely have a body mass index of 16.24 and fit the weight criteria for anorexia if barbie were a real woman she'd have to walk on all fours due to her proportions (laughs) it's impossible we have unrealistic pictures today of what a woman should be like and we are a culture that is obsessed with beauty looking a certain way portraying a certain image and god talks about beauty and you know what it's okay to want to be beautiful i tell that to my daughters it's a natural part of being a woman but let other let your beauty show people who Christ is. It's not for yourself; it's to be a reflection of God of God. And to understand that it's not so much about being beautiful outward, but inwardly. So we have to understand what it means then to be attractive in the sight of God. What's it mean to be attractive in the sight of God? Um, you know, I I'm amazed. At what the scripture says about it and how we have veered so far away from it. Look at verse three. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Now, what does that mean there? Does it mean that women shouldn't care about beauty whatsoever? No, a a woman should look good um, and my wife was, is wanting to be attractive to me, and she asked me what different things are and what looks good and what n- doesn't look good, and sometimes I go shopping with her, which shows how much I really love her. We went on a date the other night, and we went shoe shopping. I love my wife a lot. Still haven't gone jean shopping, though, which is a whole other level. <laughs> but just to see what it means to be attractive, and she wants to be attractive in my sight. And I think all women should want to be attractive in the sight of God. And God has laid this out. And it's not saying that women shouldn't want to be attractive. But it's to say that you should be more concerned about the inside, not the outside. So it's not so much about the outside. and But try, you're not trying to draw unnatural attention to yourself or to show off. That's what he's saying that they did was wrong. They were trying to show off how great they were, how beautiful they were. And and that's not what it's about. It's about trying to see the hidden person of the heart, the person on the inside. And with my wife, actually, and I'm going to confess this publicly, but um, I stayed away from her initially when we were dating because I thought she was too beautiful. J- I'm not even joking. And I actually told other people to stay away because I thought she was dangerous because she was so beautiful. I know, isn't that bad? And, and then we started to date, and, and I, I, I mean I started to get to know her, and I realized that she was a lot different. I was just looking at the externals, and the more that I got to look at her heart, the more beautiful she really became. And so even to this day, I tell her, Honey, you're beautiful on the outside, too. But it's true. And I, I've told my wife this, and she doesn't like it, but beauty fades. Does it not? Ladies, can you test to that? Yeah. I mean, you're trying to stop it. <laughs> I mean, you're, you've invested a lot of money in trying to stop that inevitable process. Um, but we see that charm or beauty is fleeting, and charm is deceptive, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. And it's amazing to me that beauty will fade, but it's the the heart that you'll be left with. And we've talked about this before. Where are the most beautiful people in the United States? Hollywood. Where are the worst marriages? Hollywood. Hollywood. So we have to see what God has for us. And what does it mean to be attractive in the sight of God? And we see there that it's a quiet spirit, The, the hidden person of the heart. So it's not so much about style, As it is about the spirit. That's what it means to be attractive in the sight of God. Not so much about the outside, but the inside. Not so much about the style, but the spirit. And God deems such behavior to be very precious, which means very valuable, costly. God places a high value on your character. Very precious. High value on character and conduct than he does about your fall fashion and style of the season. Peter then gives a picture of how the holy women of God used to behave and what made them attractive in the sight of God. He says this in verse 5, For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. You know, I have used this verse I memorized it, try to get my wife to memorize it, and I tried to get her to call me Lord. That didn't go over real well. All right, so what's going on there? It's, it's Peter saying that in the term of respect in that culture, she was respecting her husband. It's a term of respect that she was using. So in our culture, it looks differently. A woman respecting her husband's authority. Not, not saying that he's any better. Remember, they're both distinct and created in the image of God. But God has placed that role to be for the husband and the wife to, be, to have adopt a submissive attitude and honoring him. And then it says, not fear anything that is frightening, to understanding that if you do this, the culture is going to have sometimes a hard time with that. To not fear what anyone else is going to say, not to fear your husband, not to fear greater society, but to fear, fear God greater than all things. And that means to have God's word be the umbrella of our lives. And when we find out as we do this, we will find joy. But we will also find ourselves to be strangers in this land. We'll find ourselves increasingly at odds with the world that is hostile and at enmity toward Him. No matter what TV shows try to display for us, we see that for all the married ladies, God is an ordained arrangement that when women follow, will follow, will have fullness of joy on the, pl- the path of great blessing. Amen? Amen. In a couple of weeks, we're going to look at the men. Because as we talk about women, some women say, well, if I have Proverbs 31 or I have this submission, what does he have? Well, he's called to love you like Christ loved the church, which means he's to be submissive and give himself to the point of death for you. That's a huge role that God has ordained for men as well. Both are honoring in the sight of God. We know that when we pursue that, we'll have full blessing. Let's close with a word of prayer. Our Father and our God, we come before you right now asking you to give us clarity. Lord, you have shown us within your word how the husband and wife relationship is to function, at least from the wife's side. Lord, I pray that your word might find fertile soil on the hearts of the women that are present. I pray that each of these women might be like Sarah, who follow you and be called her children because they are adopting a submissive attitude to their husbands, even those who are unbelievers, so that they might be one without a word by the holiness and purity of their conduct before you. Lord, we know that you are God and that you called us unto yourself and you've called us to be strangers in this world. May we found, be found to be faithful with everything you've entrusted to our care. and May we pursue these roles that you have for us unabashedly and unashamedly that your name might resonate and echo through our hearts as individuals and as a church and a greater society that others who are far off might see and know who you are and be one accordingly. We ask this now in Jesus' name, amen.